This week on A to Z Running, what does it take to be a patient rather than greedy runner? Pete has thoughts on that and more. Also a question about long runs and fueling and training. In the world of running, the BU opener for indoor track more than lived up to its anticipation this year. Valencia Marathon was incredible, but maybe not for the reason that you're thinking. And Nike Cross Nationals had it all. Slogging mud, fording small streams, and upset victories. Stick around for exciting news and a familiar name. All this and more on A to Z Running. Welcome back to A to Z Running, where we help runners thrive with information, inspiration, and coaching and training services. I'm Andy. And I'm Zach. Just a reminder that you can learn more about our services and support for runners at A to Z Running.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Spotify, among the other places. Because we might answer your question on air, which we did a few weeks ago for Ben and he followed up with us and I wanted to read what he shared and to congratulate Ben on a great race. He wrote, thanks again. The race was yesterday and I managed a 13 and a half minute PR well, and then. technically a BQ time. Only one minute and 40 second buffer, but thrilled to have met the standard. Yeah, so, very, very well done. Well done. I can't ben. credit that with us, but uh, at least I, we're glad that what we shared was helpful to you in the final stages of your training. Well, he didn't specifically say that he actually did any of the things we suggested. <laughs> well, I think the thanks meant that he did. But uh, that episode that we talked about his question, we discussed a bit about some of the latter stages of training for a race based on terrain or based on the topography of the course. So go back and give that a listen. Good stuff. Well done. Now, time for a Zach rant. Oh, no. <laughs> Yes, it's time for a Zach rant. Okay, so I do, I, I have this problem with this phrase that we say so often as runners. And I, and I totally get the thing, and there's some legitimacy to the thing, but it doesn't jive well with the core of what we're trying to get at with our running stuff. So I always wanted to talk about it for a moment because Parker Valby, spoiler, we're going to talk about some of her race results recently here in the World of Running segment. You'll find out more about that if you stick around to the end of the episode. So Parker Valby was talking in a post-race interview, you know, NCAA cross-country champ, outdoor track, 5,000-meter NCAA champion. Like, she's got the accolades, right? And she makes some kind of comment about um, the the I'm-in-blank shape thing. And the interviewer is like, you know, so it's like, it's this common question, right? Did you really know that you were in that shape, you know, that kind of time shape? Um, and then we just, we just say this all the time and what it almost always becomes for most of us is we finish a race and we feel less than pleased with it. And we say to ourselves or others, but I was definitely in blank shape, fill in the blank with whatever time you thought you could have or should have run. And again, like I said, there is definitely some legitimacy to these things because it's often true. Like by some kind of measurable indicator, you probably physiologically were capable of some kind of comparable result. However, it did not happen or it happened differently for better or worse. The point being, what does it matter that you are in blank shape? The consequence of that thinking is almost always bad. And here's why. 
because it makes us try to run that pace. Whatever else may fall, whatever else may be, we think, I'm in that shape, I should run that pace. And our answer is, no, you shouldn't. You should run the pace relative to how you're doing that day and all of the circumstances around it. And you should train in such a way so that you know how to execute what you are capable of doing that day. So I guess we need to just continue with our series. And Parker Valby needs to start listening to it. Actually, I'm not. Ex I'm not <laughs> I sure. I think if she she's, was led in that. Question. I'm not sure if she's the one who actually said right, it or right. if it was the interview. Because people will remember. ask all the time, like, "What kind right. of shape are you in?" I am not here to criticize Parker Valby. In fact, we have many praise her accolades to her. share. But point is, we need to be careful about the things we tell ourselves because it causes us to make poor choices as runners. And we think there is a better way. And we've got a guest on this week who's going to share directly in line with that thinking. In fact, he's got some awesome okay. things to share. But we've got some other things to talk about first. So let's start with your questions. This question actually is also from our interview guest today. We thought it would not be a bad idea to align the two as he's asking the question he also happens to be sharing some great insights um, so thank you pete for sharing thoughts on multiple levels with the podcast we're excited about that but the question first and then we'll hear from pete later are there times when fueling during a run should be done i know you have suggested keeping the effort low enough to not need it in my case i want to try new gels out and would prefer not to wait until race day to find out mm. so that's actually a that's a really important thing to do as a yeah. runner is to try the things before race day. And Pete, I'm guessing you know that by the way you asked the question. Um, so just before Andy shares her thoughts, uh, the premise of his question is as we discuss with runners in general, and these are highly generalized comments because it, it varies immensely once we well, start talking. You're talking about specifics are vary quite a bit. Yes. Yes. Yep. So highly generalized in this comment here. And, and what it is, is on the whole, we feel that it's important for runners to train their energy systems in various capacities. And one of those capacities is to train our system to be able to run without fuel in certain senses. And so what that means is the difference between there's, there's the extreme where you take fuel with you all the time when you're running and it's like a goo every time I run, which is entirely unnecessary most of the time. Um, but the other extreme is you never feel at all and you're not ready for the race. So we'll talk about that too. And you're not eating beforehand. That's a totally different thing. you're not actually thing. feeling that's a, that's before a very, and after. Yeah. Yes, that's not a different not what we're conversation. About. We're talking about drain the run. And so what it is, is we need our energy systems to be able to do certain things, but also it's a way to help mitigate our efforts. You should not be running so hard in terms of easy effort runs that you need to take fuel for those types of non-extreme, you know, if you're running super long distances, yeah, of course, definitely. But that's what Pete's asking about. Yeah. So I gave my suggestions to him, but said I was going to unpack it a little bit more here. But the times that you want to practice your fueling are not when you when most people do hmm. which is during the really long easy effort it's actually better to do it in your long hard effort 
that's a better time to be fueling. Long tempos, if you're in the end stages or maybe uh, if you want to do it earlier on, you could do it perhaps during like a steady state and conditioning. If you have races mid-season and you want to make sure that you're ready for those. So your, your body responds differently to fuel at a higher effort. And so if you're going to only practice running easy runs, only practice fuel during easy runs, your body might not respond to it very well when you're running hard. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to do it at a higher level effort. Now, I uh, wanted to make sure that I backed up the things that I'm saying here. Carbohydrates serve as a primary source of fuel during more intense exercises or like moderate to intense exercise. And so... Uh, if it continues for a significant period of time, the fatty acids will serve as a fuel source when glycogen stores are nearly depleted. That's Mayo Clinic that told us that. So it's just important for you to be trying in a more, um, like I said, a higher effort and then seeing how your body responds and only trying one fuel at a time. So if you are planning to diversify, which we suggest diversifying your fuel during your race, that yeah. means different kinds of sugar sources. Um, that means different kinds of ingredient mm -hmm. types. But when you're practicing, we want you to try one thing at a time so you know whether that specific thing is working for you before you add your other fuels. So this is going to allow for you to do a better uh, trial and error to see what works for you. And it is crazy how different it is for people. Mm -hmm. And that's why you can't just see, okay, this worked amazing for this Olympian, but it might not be good for you. Mm -hmm. So it's super important to not just base it on other people's recommendations or even you'd look at like what's in it and you're like, this should be the best. <laughs> but your body's like, no, thank you. That's well, not what I want you to take right now. If we've learned anything from things like food intolerances and food allergies and all that type of stuff, right? which is highly individual and differs from one person to the next. Um, if we learned anything from the, all that kind of stuff, it's that very rarely do two people respond exactly the same to the same thing we ingest. And as such, there is no such thing as the best kind of race day fuel. And whatever, <laughs> uh, whatever uh, Martin's claims about we've developed the thing that's going to work and solve your GI problems, it's not true. It does for some people, and it actually makes them worse for other people. You have to test it. And yes, Pete, it is good to test it. Now, that's as Andy was alluding to with those, with those sustained efforts, um, we do recommend once you're running hard efforts that are longer than like an hour to hour and a half, that window, sometimes it's probably worthwhile to take something but at, once you get beyond an hour and a half for sure you should be taking fuel mm -hmm. all the time for those yeah. hard for hard efforts right because now we're talking about you're actually breaking down your systems a little bit more you need to take something so that it helps recovery because mm -hmm. now we're, we're in training phases here you got to maximize recovery still an injury skyrockets injury opportunity skyrockets when you're running hard and you're not fueled properly. And also, I'm just going to put this warning out there. Even if for easy stuff, if you're not well-fueled the night before, the morning of, like if you are not a well-fueled runner in general, it is dangerous to do distance running. And it's yeah. even more dangerous if you're, if you're not fueling. So I think it's really important to really take captive your personal 
experience and your and your the diet that you have and your nutrition because uh, there aren't any kind of suggestions that we can make here on this podcast that's going to be dialed in for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an important question to ask. And the answer is it depends on the nature of what you're doing in training and all of those other potential factors. And so when it comes down to it, if you are going to test something different for a race than what you've taken before, then find a way to test it in training. Um, if you don't have the opportunity to do it, like the ideal, as Andy said, longer, hard efforts is the ideal because it replicates what you're doing in a race experience. If you don't have that opportunity, then the next best thing is whatever the longest thing is you're doing for running. That's the best chance to test things because it still replicates some mm-hmm. amount of the race experience. And we also do suggest like for rehearsals, for instance, if you're going to do a rehearsal race, that is the perfect opportunity because you have the jitters in your belly. <laughs> before you put that goo in your belly the belly jitters and, the belly jitters and during the race you're likely gonna have to carry it so that's another opportunity to find where it doesn't chafe you or how you're gonna carry it what po- kind of pockets you need all of those things are key for getting ready for race day so we call those like rehearsal races also time trials even if it's a shorter time trial you could take a gel before and see how it does for you during like a 10k time trial you're not going to fuel during it but if you take something before that you want to try to see how your your body handles it during that's also not a bad way to kind of replicate the intensity and how it's going to set for you so those are just a couple of ideas lots to think about there for you pete and everyone else who is thinking the same question, even if you weren't asking it. Remember, you can ask your questions anytime. We've shared that we basically have two vehicles, so pick the easiest one. Um, and then and then Andy reminded me, really, there's three. If you find us on a place like social media, comment or message directly, and those are great places to ask questions, share your experiences. But we can make it easy for you. Go to adizyrunning.com slash question or email questions at adizyrunning.com. All right, now let's get on to the interview with Pete. So before we actually get on to the interview with Pete, uh, which we will do very soon now, um, just a reminder, remember the goal here and what we're trying to do with this series of conversations. Um, We're trying to understand the nuances of training by effort and becoming a more intuitive runner in and out of competition. And the in-competition part, is perhaps the most difficult hurdle for most of us to clear. And so in particular, we'll come to that uh, with some highly poignant and relevant comments from Pete and his experiences. But remember that we're trying to, we're bringing on then some people who are doing the thing. They're trying to train like this. They're trying to compete like this. And they're in various stages of implementing it. We've talked with Steph already, who has been doing this for some time now, um, has had some great success with some of these approaches and yet hasn't figured it all out. We're going to talk with Pete today. He's been doing this for years and really has a lot to share about some of the key insights that help make this effective for runners. But yet he hasn't hit some of the big goals. We'll talk more about that and, and where that progress has led him so far. And also we'll bring in, we've got some runners who are very new to it, who have only been doing this for a short time and others who have varying other types of experiences outside of what you might call just like the typical, it works perfectly for me kind of 
runner. So we're hoping that those insights will in fact, and we, we're not just hoping, we know they will, they're going to color the nuances in more clear ways so we can grasp how to do this ourselves. So here's Pete Mumbauer, a model of steady progress, not all sunshine and daisies for him. And he's going to talk about what he's learned, how he's grown and what things make the biggest difference and how life also catches up with us and sometimes forces adjustments. Mm -hmm. Let's talk to Pete. Pete, welcome to the show. I feel like this is long overdue. Like Pete, Pete is a, is a name that goes hand in hand with A to Z running runners and uh and i'm just so glad to have you on so thank you for joining us yeah no problem glad to be here definitely all right so this this is the topic we've been talking about um we have been as we've gone through this we've tried to share with the audience kind of like our general approach to how we are coaching runners or supporting runners in developing intuition running intuition under this kind of, you know, how to train by effort, how to run by effort, all that type of stuff. And you've you've been able to experience this longer than most, in fact, um, but also insofar as your experiences, um, you've gone kind of like, you've been able to go through different phases of, you know, certainly some major disruptions and periods of time where you're dealing with some ongoing challenges with injury types of things. Also some periods of time where you've been very successful and executing training in a way that you were you were confident in the the work you were doing and then some other times where it's like you know life isn't always predictable and sometimes the things you have to deal with in terms of how life is going obviously affect what we're doing in training so i say it that way pete because i i would love to get a taste of all of the different kinds of like you, you've experienced this in different ways at different times, which I think is really valuable to our audience and really valuable to anyone trying to understand what this looks mm -hmm. like. So if you can start just with, um, I guess let's start with like kind of on the challenges side, as you've incorporated the training approach, what has been difficult or what obstacles have you faced with that? If, if any, yeah. Well, I think like with most runners who who go into the uh, effort base, it's always been going from metrics like my pace to intuition, you know, how in your body feels, you know, your true easy or, you know, a steady effort, stronger effort, all the way up to full race, you know, feeling that spectrum and, and, and trusting how you felt in training you know, that, that was a struggle early on and I still struggle with it occasionally. You know, you go out with friends and, you know, they're going and you're like, I know this isn't easy, but I'm, you know, yeah, this is this and that. But, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing was, was, um, you know, relying more on, on how my body felt for that day, whether it was when I'm at the peak of my training where things have been going really good to like right now rebuilding, you know, the full spectrum. But uh, yeah, that's always been the biggest challenge. Certainly. So in in that in that experience, then as, as you're engaging with that, um, what what makes it harder? What makes it easier? You know, in terms of like your mindset or the things that you're telling yourself and that you're doing. And so, I, and I ask it that way, Pete, because you know sometimes it's like um, you don't see the results that you'd like to see at, at a mm -hmm. given point in time, and for many runners it's I'll do whatever it takes to see that result. You know, I feel like I have to run this pace for my easy right. runs because I'm trying to aspire towards some goal. 
Um, or, you know, certainly it doesn't have to be that, but, but those types of things are often challenges. How do you talk to yourself about, or talk yourself through those kinds of challenges and temptations? Yeah, no, it's, um, knowing that, um, when I'm truly like running easy for what my current fitness is that I know down the road, I am going to see the results, which, you know, better paces, you know, times and stuff, PRs, that kind of stuff, knowing that the journey is going to be worth it. And I don't have to beat myself up during training to try to get there, you know, cause the process will play itself out. Um, but on the flip side, on the hard part of it mentally for me is knowing, yeah, you know, I, I run an easy pace, like, you know, today get done. And I look at Strava, of course, and it's like, wow, you know, that, when I felt easy before, my pace would be way faster when I'm really fit. But so, but try not to beat myself up <laughs> about that. Even though I have no pace field on my watch when I run, just uh, overall time and lap time. That's the only thing I see on my watch nowadays. Um, and, oh, and there's no even uh, mile splits. I turned off auto lap. So, um, so the temptation is not there. I just know I got to go out for an hour, whatever it is. But, um, but yeah, knowing that, you know, if I'm training in for the purpose for that run and I really keep my body in there, it's going to build, you know, weeks are going to build into months and then I'll be performing. That's right. That's right. That's the hope, right? And, and yeah. that, it, well, okay. So you say, you know, confidence that, that it will be, that you will get there. Um, mm -hmm. So have, have there been times when it did and have there been times when it didn't and, uh, how have you grappled with that? Oh, yeah. It's, um, I definitely have gotten there because I've had enough um, ups and downs through the last few years working with you that, you know, I know it does take time to get there. Um, and, you know, runners can be impatient. And sometimes you just not feel like you're getting there because I run the same route. So I know where a mile is. And I know when I've done a 30 minute run, I've usually been at that, you know, mailbox. And now I'm not at that mailbox, um, but it's just being patient. I mean, that's the biggest thing, you know, effort, you know, proper training requires patience um, for optimal results. I mean, I could really push the hard end easy, but then I'm going to risk myself getting injured. And I really haven't been injured very much in the last few years. It's very rare. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to keep that in mind too. I'm like, I could take it easy or I could be injured too. That's, Especially during the early stages. Right, right. And that's exactly right. You, you actually raise a really important point. During the early stages, when you're kind of trying to reset or set the foundation for the season. Um, now, when you get past that point, do the challenges change at all? Or what does it look like when you're kind of in the meat of things? You've set a good foundation. You're in a good groove does that change the experience at all for you in terms of this, this, you know, trying to just listen to your body, trying to make sure you're doing, you know, does it get harder or easier? Does it get, um, less rewarding or more fulfilling? What, what is that like? I think for me, it actually is, it could be both dangerous and satisfying because I, I am having good runs. I'm feeling great, you know, go out for a steady or a far look and are feeling awesome. And especially as I get into the meat or toward the end of the training cycle, I start, I don't want to get greedy and really start pushing it. Um, cause I know 
that can usually backfire more often than not. So, but it's great when you're, you know, in the meat of it and things are clicking along and you get back and you feel, hey, I could have, you know, gone an extra 15 minutes or I could have gone an extra two hours. Um, and I want to, that's like a fine line, I think, for me to, to balance because um, I have my goals, you know, I want to run Boston. So I got to let everything progress, even if it takes a few cycles. And just continue to keep, keep the long view in mind in that sense too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, cause the, even as successful weeks of not being injured and staying within the right effort, those build within the cycle, but then those cycles stack on top of each other. And I can definitely see that because I had two really good cycles where I was just, I was blowing PRs, mile, marathon, everything. It was just, it was great. It was, yeah, I, I keep dreaming about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, well, let's reflect on that a little bit further because there, you know, there comes a time where um, it's a little bit surprising when a runner can say, well, I, I, in a, in a given window of time, I was able to run a one mile PR and a marathon PR. And I wasn't necessarily doing anything differently for like, trying to do the one versus the other that, mm -hmm. you know, things are kind of coming. Does, does that connect to this nature of training at all in terms of your capacity to be able to achieve some of those things? Or is it just like, you know, you're just fit. And so it happened. Yeah, no, I, I can see the benefits because as you've brought up before, anything past what 800 meters, it's all the same type of training roughly. And so I know by keeping the efforts proper for all the types of runs I'm doing that all the various, I'm going to get, I'm going to get benefits across a lot of different ranges. Um, as I've seen, um, obviously some, I have some old PRs, but they're just weird distances and stuff like that. Sure. But, um, but I, I just got to keep remembering that, Hey, this is going to build. And you, know, if I wanted to focus on a 5k, I know we could, you know, do slight tweaks to the training. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious then, um, because I think the, the area that is often in some senses, the most difficult for runners is when the running side of it isn't necessarily the challenge, but the rest of life is bringing some kind of obstacle at some point in some time. So are, are you able and willing to share in any of the experiences you've had where, training has been affected by other parts of life how do how do you grapple with that and how does that connect to your effort to try to train with what you have that day or with what's going on in life yeah no that definitely has been a struggle for me i definitely could have you know really pushed and got more training in but i've had to allow you know life to play out you know especially important upheavals that have been happening in my life over the last couple of years. Um, but, but on the days I do go run, maybe I can't do a full hour. I still get out there and do what I feel like I can do. Or, um, or if I'm just not feeling like, you know, start going into a fartlek or even a steady that this isn't the day to do it, whether there's this other things that are going to affect my effort, not just my fitness, that it's just better to pull back and, and it ends up being a good, reflective run for me too so um yeah it's it, it can be tough it, it's definitely um in the time of day when you do it you know if you're really disciplined for the morning boy that 
I can see the beauty of that, but it's hard to wake up in the morning too for me. <laughs> <laughs> been there, been there many times. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a whole another category by itself. Um, so you know, in 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 that sense, um, you even well, you said like there's other val there's other values that you get from it too, like the reflection, the time to think, um, mm -hmm. a chance to just kind of uh, use that time for what's needed. And it may not be physiological fitness gain at all the time. That's really something. Right. Again, probably a whole other category that we uh, we could be talking about too. So, mm -hmm. I, I Pete, with with the amount of experience you've had and experiences you've had around these things, um, a lot of people wonder with training differently at all. You know, for the for the starters. Um, is it a good idea to try to change up my training? And if I do, how do I do that in a way that, um, you know, minimize risk, maximize potential types of things for your own, from your own experiences, the things that kind of helped you when you were, when you're making adjustments or trying to adopt this approach more fully, um, what are the kinds of things that helped with that or the, the dynamics that made it more valuable or more possible? Um, I think a, a, a piece that really did help and it was data driven is occasionally using the heart rate monitor kind of as a check-in point occasionally sometimes i was running and it's like you know these easies aren't feeling really that easy and and so we went back and said hey let's just wear a heart rate monitor a few days make sure something that's going to be accurate and you know not in the middle you know risk-based stuff that are going to be uh tough in the winter but use that and say okay tweak it and then okay that's just there for the check-in i know that yeah that was a little high so I think when I was first learning the efforts, once I knew the correlation of how it felt to like some actual hard data that was consistent over a few runs, um, that really helped me out the, in the beginning. Cause I know now that, you know, my easy, when it feels easy for me for an effort is, or steady, you know, my marathon is around 150 beats per minute. So if I'm doing a run, if I take a quick peak, you know, once in a great while, it's like, okay, yep, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the right spot. Um, I think that helped me make the connection between the two, the two worlds, I guess. Um, and I felt more confident going off of feel, especially during races. That's awesome. Yep. And that's, and that's exactly right. I mean, it, to build a clarity and confidence within that, um, that's probably the hardest part. And that's my last question for you. In fact, so you, you segued perfectly. Uh, not all runners who agree with the training approach want to try to do the same thing in races. And so yeah. there's, there's a, there's a layer further, I think of commitment to the idea that, um, we don't, not everyone gets to that point. Uh, now you have yourself tried to experiment with and embrace what does it look like to race by effort and you've done so in a few different ways and in the sense of like trying some different elements of that um tell us a little bit about your experience there and what has it gone well or what's what are some of those experiences and how have they been yeah um definitely from like the marathon side um i've definitely had my best experiences going off of you know pure feel i mean the holy grail negative split you know, that was like Charlevoix a few years ago. That was incredible. I, I always by 20, 18 to 20 miles, I was on, I was on flames. I was a dumpster fire before, you know, trying to gauge pace, gate, you know, do numbers and do all this other stuff where that race, it just felt, kept myself within 
by means, you know, what we've talked about, all what I've learned from training that, hey, I know this is a safe spot for me to run in. I'm running within my fitness. And sure enough, get to 20 miles. I'm like, huh, this is new. You know, and then 22 miles. Okay, I'm going to start picking this this up. You know, I can, I can see a PR here. And and just the psychological aspect of it is, is huge because it kicks in because you're running. I'm running within my fitness. So, and then to follow it up with Indianapolis where it was a great big PR too there, but I also kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit and I kind of was looking at the watch a little bit and I wasn't really, so I've, I've had a little bit of both worlds at the marathon level with you. Um, but even shorter races like my half marathon um, at park to park, that was, I smoked that one and it was, I, I kept within myself. I mean, I think it really boiled down to just running to what the fitness I built up over the previous weeks and months. And it just paid off. I mean, it's, and if you looked at my training runs, it was like, oh, yeah, I did a 9.30, 10-minute easy runs a lot. And all of a sudden here, I'm blowing 7.20s, you know, for 13 miles. And it's like, I didn't think I could do it, but it was there. I felt it, I don't say it was super easy, but <laughs> but it, it pays off. I mean, for anyone listening, you know, yeah, it takes some adjusting to get to. But once you're running within your fitness at almost any distance, man, it is it is awesome. It's, it's, it's what you want to do. It's what you always talk about with your buddies. Like, Hey, I'm going to negative split this. I'm not going to be staggering in at the end. I'm not going to be puking. <laughs> and that's, you remember that Charlevoix race you mentioned, cause that was a pretty warm day. You know, it was yeah. not a, like, you know, a nice perfect 50 degrees or something like that was a warmer one in the end of June at that. Um, yeah. yeah. And there's big, there's some hills in there. There's a big hill at 20. <laughs> I forget about that, but you're exactly right. That was not small. Yeah. It, yeah. it wouldn't be a race I would have targeted for like a flat and fast, you know, I'm going to really crush this thing. It's like, I'm going to have to be careful with this, but it paid off big. Once, and in some ways that's kind of, um, you know, you talk about the, the value you get from that kind of an approach. Um, when you're in more adverse conditions, you know, if, if you're able as an athlete to, uh, execute what I am capable of right now, given all those things, um, then you, you substantially minimize the risk of the adverse conditions causing some kind of major problem yeah. later on. That's huge. Yeah. And even under ideal conditions, you're not putting any limits on what time you can do if you're saying i'm only going to run i'm going to run a 330 marathon and you end up running to 20 something you know you're not putting any artificial barriers on you're just running what your fitness is and if your fitness is going to knock that out and i've had some races and workouts where it's like i never thought i could do it but i just felt like i, I it just happened yeah so yeah it's awesome that's cool i like that i like that um of course you know naturally you and everyone listening knows um that's that's the thing when I'm describing often what can what can come of these kinds of approaches. A piece of that is that idea right there, and and you've been able to experience that, which is which is phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. Not without some some challenges along the way, as you've described. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think this is the kind of thing that's like linear growth either. You know, we all tend to see. Um, I've I've embraced it and I start to see the benefits, but then I, you know, I do something, whether it's a deliberate mistake that I made or it's just, you know, something that came up in life, but you oh, know, yeah. you've, been, you've been through a lot. Yeah. And I've noticed too, that when I've been at my peaks and 
I've had life or injury um, and I go back down, getting back on the horse, doing the approach, I, I climb right back up and I get to where I was or exceed that too um, in a really an enjoyable manner. I mean, I got, you know, my, even if I'm, you know, quote unquote running slow right now, I, I feel good. I get home. I, I'm not dead for the day. So that's great for the family. Um, and I just, you know, it, it's just good. Yeah. I wish I would have been on this approach years ago. <laughs> well, that, you know, that's a testament to the success that's uh, possible within it. And uh, if nothing else, you know, retrospect is great, but uh, we can at least share these thoughts so that those who are, you know, at, at a different stage and they're just trying things yeah. out might be able to benefit from it too. Yeah. And there's just so many benefits. I mean, like I said, it's, you know, you, you start to enjoy your runs. You can, you know, um, you're not wiped out at the end. Uh, you're not potentially getting injured and that's the worst part. So, um, and then you see the growth over time over, if you're consistent, that's the, that's the big key. And you can't run easy and do the right efforts only a few times a week. That doesn't work. So. Right on. Well, Pete, I gotta say, I so appreciate you sharing your thoughts, your experiences, your insights, appreciate your time being willing to come mm -hmm. on and share these things with the audience. And, uh, you know, at that, we certainly all wish you the best of luck as you're building up for the next one right now as well. Great. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Pete. And especially for, for the time, but, mm -hmm. but especially just the, the sincere reflections, the honest reflections that, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to do this kind of thing. Talk about these kinds of things when you feel like you have done it, where you feel like you've arrived and hit the big thing. It's a lot harder when it's like, ah, there's more I want. I'm not quite there yet. So thank you. And if there's one thing, if I, if I might draw upon one thing that you said in particular that I just really enjoyed and uh, appreciated, hence I titled the episode <laughs> after it, um, don't be greedy. Don't be greedy as runners. Like this idea that we want it so badly that we overreach. We do that so much. And I'm not condemning anyone who's listening to this because I think every single runner does that. I am just as guilty just as often as everybody else. And that's part that's, that's part of, if any of you listening have been commenting to me because a number of people have, they're like, oh, are you all right? Are you healthy? Like you're not posting on Strava. Well, I'm not posting on Strava because I'm not posting on Strava or using a watch for anything that I'm doing right now. Because in my mind, the only way I'm really truly going to stop myself from making these kinds of bad choices is by not knowing what's happening by the data so that they cannot affect my bad choices. So yes, it's true. You can actually still make the bad choices, but as Pete was describing, um, we need to we need to learn how to be patient in a in a richer sense as runners, and understand that the thing that's possible will come to me if I do things in the right way at the right time. That's good. Thank you, Pete. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Pete. Now let's get on to the world of running. To kick things off with the world of running, we're going to give some A to Z runners shout outs. 
<laughs> we're gonna see it for those of you at home zach's i just threw bump. my fist into mm -hmm. the air yes yes because we are excited when our athletes do well and last week we missed a few like i think we hedged it and said we probably missed a bunch well we did uh pina ran a 5k pr we don't want to miss shouting that out Congrats, all right pina also michelle ran a 5k kate as well and craig ran with his grandson how good how good that's always fun the generational thing. Mm -hmm. It's cool. I love it. Inspiring the runners of tomorrow. All right. And Mallory ran the Rehoboth Beach Seashore Marathon in Delaware. She's trying to just check off those states. And she's got another one on her list there. Very exciting. Congrats, Mallory. Right on. All right. Let's talk track. Yes. And everyone's like, wait, isn't this cross country season still? Because you told us there's more cross country. There is more cross country. There's also some road stuff and some track stuff because that's just what happens in running. They all kind of, who knows? Well, indoor track and field has begun, at least in the United States, and it started with a bang mm -hmm. at the BU opener. So it should be noted, um, it's not, it, or maybe, it, well, no, it's not, it's not every day that the NCAA cross-country champions have a chance to like prove that they're not just great in that one race, but they just, you know, are that kind of runner. Um, because what happens is you run cross country and then it's like, yes, but cross country isn't representative of things that people understand. Like cross country isn't a fast 5k or a great marathon, right? It's this random distance on the grass and who knows? Well, that's why they have meets like the BU opener. Mm -hmm. So a bunch of those, a bunch of those NCAA runners jump off the grass onto the track to try to, what they say, you know, use that cross-country fitness. And they also want to qualify for nationals early. For it's the advent champs, yeah. yeah. It's advantageous to get an early mark because then you can really then, you know. Uh, well, you can chill for a bit. Set up yourself the for season. the best season right. possible without hammering uh, race after race trying to hit a mark. Yeah. So as it were, that is always the case with the BU opener. Um, and it's often highly anticipated things like, oh, this runner might go for a record or this runner's in such great shape. You never know. And then it just often also doesn't really happen um, in part because the runners show up there to run a, a qualifier and not necessarily, you know, after a long cross country season, super sharp. But as it as it went this time, it was very exciting and it met and exceeded all expectations. Let's start with the women's 5000. Mm hmm. You've heard her name. <laughs> it's just Zach. <laughs> what? Go ahead. I just think it's funny. Zach is super excited about this rise to fame for Parker Valby. I am? Uh, yes. Any more than I'm excited about anyone else who's running great? I don't know. But she did the improbable. She's the first collegian to run under 15 minutes for an indoor or outdoor 5K. Any 5,000 Any 5,000 meter. Track meter. What? What? And she seemed unenthused about it. Well, we'll talk more about that. She not only is the first collegian, she's actually the youngest American period to run under 15 minutes at the right age of 21 part. years. Okay, yes. Cool. Yeah. And that's that says something. Um, it is the fact that the great American 5,000 meter runners, you know, like Alicia Munson's record, which is 1419, like they're, they're running super fast, but they don't usually do that until – They've been at it for quite some years. So Parker Valby at 21 years of age just ran 1456. New collegian record. 
faster than any outdoor. You don't get an outdoor record if you run on an indoor track. So she doesn't get both records, but it's faster than them. Um, and in fact, uh, is, is only a shade slower than the Olympic standard of 1452. Maybe that's why she was unenthused. Well, it could be, but she wasn't really. So this is, this is my problem. The interview, uh, she kind of was like, this is classic Parker Valby. So her, her cross country championships interview was like uncommon where she was really excited and talked a lot. Uh, this is classic Parker Valby. Basically it's like yes or no answers and full of awkward silences because she just just sits there while they're waiting to think of something else to say, the interviewers. And 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 as it's not it were, a bad interviewee. No, but she like seems like this was just kind of like a eh, just another race. Just another race. You just broke the collegiate record. <laughs> and she said things like, you know, yeah, I didn't really know that I was able to that I was in that kind of shape. Um, she said things like, you know, it, well, the the plan wasn't really to try to run that fast, but, but, but you did. <laughs> so how did that happen if it wasn't the plan? So apparently her coach said, okay, Annie Rodenfels took off BAA pro runner. Um, she took off and the field was being paced at like the NCAA standard kind of level, which was a fair bit slower. So Valby's coach just said, go with Rodenfels. And she did. And then she did. More than just go with Rodenfels. Yeah. So well done. And well she raised. did she win? She won, right? I think so. <laughs> yes, she did. By a fair bit, I believe. Um, the last K was just brutal. Okay, so Valby wins the race. Collegiate record. All great stuff. This is only the third time Parker Valby has run, run an indoor track race huh. of any kind. She's always hurt in indoor. Oh. Which we've talked about. This goes back to Zach is not by definition some kind of Parker Valby super fan because I have major questions about the way she goes about the sport. Um, and, and I don't have enough answers to know more about it than that. Mm -hmm. I have questions. Okay. Um, so that was very fast. Well done, Parker Valby. This is just a little side note. It's really hard to be good three seasons in a row. So indoor, yeah. it's tough. It's tough to do a cross-country season – a hard indoor season, a hard outdoor season, and then see what you can do in the summertime with the pros. <laughs> yeah, usually one of them is a bust, and it's yeah. usually the indoor or outdoor track, depending well, if on if they do the it. indoor hard. Yeah. Which some colleges don't put an emphasis on it, so it just depends yeah. on the university. Yep. So that was the women. How about on the men's side? Well, if, uh, if women's cross-country champ Parker Valby – uh, showed the stuff, true colors on the track. Men's cross-country champ, Graham Blanks, did the same. And oh, really? Yes, indeed. So Rolled the, the Pacers the Pacers were setting it up at 13.12 pace, which is quick. Uh, but the Olympic standards, 13.05. The, the NCAA record's like 13.08, I think, or 13.06. 13.06, I believe, actually. But whatever it is, it, it's right around the Olympic standard. And yet the race paced out slower than that um so if anyone wants the time they gotta they gotta make up their mind sooner rather than later and kai robinson of stanford was the man to do it so he uh he, he at about 3k somewhere close to that um starts taking off clearly wants the olympic standard he actually talked about it he definitely wanted to run that 1305 um and so he wasn't alone so you've, now you've got Graham Blanks, NCAA champ from cross country, and Sam Atkin, pro runner out of Great Britain, um, both going with him. And between the three of them, now you've got a race in your hands. And this is always the best recipe for fast times. Run fast with a race, good stuff. So it came down to 
a final 400, which is what Graham Blanks did all cross country season with 400 to go or so, just laid down the hammer and beat everyone. Well, apparently that translates well to the track for him too, because with about 400 to go, he dropped a 57 last 400 meters to run 13.03. Nice. New NCAA collegiate record, also Olympic standard, which is amazing. And just enough edged out both Atkin and Robinson, who then finished uh, Robinson over Atkin in 13.06 apiece. So they both narrowly missed the Olympic standard. Both were very frustrated about that to get so close and, and yet not hit it. Uh, but what a race. It's interesting because sometimes when someone has had a recent victory or they were a champion at some race and then they have another one that's highly anticipated or there's a lot of great competition that can do one of two things. It can pump them up and give them confidence or it can make them freak out and have a horrible race. But it's cool that in both cases for the men and for the women, they were pumped by their victory and they were able to show their true fitness unencumbered by their recent success. Yeah. So there's a saying, it's not exactly a saying in these exact words, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially um, champions rise to the occasion. Um, or, or Asania Richard Ross says they know how to win. Well, yes. Um, so you may, she talks a lot about how you make it a habit. Um, well, as it were, there is something that happens to a runner, especially at this level, like an NCAA collegiate runner who becomes a champion, an NCAA champion, their confidence tends to change a bit. Their demeanor tends to change a bit. And it often translates to high level performance. So that's not the case in every single time. But when you see someone like Graham Blanks come off an NCAA championship cross country, you got to you gotta say to yourself, this guy, he's probably going to continue that momentum. Mm -hmm. He and Valby both in this case. Good stuff. Well, it didn't end there because the 3,000 meters was also fast and exciting. And on the women's side, um, it was Notre Dame's Olivia Marquezic, which this should not surprise anybody. Not only did she win the race, she ran the second fastest 3,000 meter all-time for the NCAA in 8.40 behind only Caitlin Tui's collegiate record. Um, but this is the thing that Marquezic does. Last year, she was second in the NCAA 3,000 meter championships indoors to Tui and then in outdoors won the steeplechase went on to run the U.S. championship steeplechase and take fourth in a crazy fast time and so you see something like that and you think okay so this shouldn't surprise anyone Olivia Marquezic is really good at this distance mm -hmm. whether it's with barriers or not so that's cool that's exciting mm -hmm. um, also by the way uh, in in uh, second and third place, respectively, Maya Ramsden and Amina Matug, uh, both also collegians, were seventh and eighth all time on the NCAA list. So fast running. Great race for all of those ladies. Lastly, the men's 3,000 meters, Nico Young punched all the haters in the mouth <laughs> in this one. Because everyone's talking like, Nico Young, is he really ever going to like do the thing that everyone thinks he should be able to do. Well, he did one of them at least this time. He trounced the field in this 3,000 meters in the number three all-time performance for the NCAA in 737, which is so fast. Very fast. <laughs> so fast. He ran, but he but it's the way he did it because everyone's like, well, Nico Young can run fast. He has some fast times under his belt. 
but he didn't just run fast. He also raced well and ran like a champ, outkicked the field for a 57-second final 400 meters and a final spurt in the last 50, which is what Nico Young never has. He did there. He won the race, beat the likes of some professional runners, Kieran Lum, Craig Engels was in the race with a PR as well to boot. We're not going to really talk about that here. but So there's lots there's lots going on there. Nico Young, impressive performance. Which is really cool to see him put that piece together because yeah. that is the piece that doesn't take as long and just needs some fine-tuning. It need, like He needs to be able to, you know, uh, it, it's, not very, it does, it's not very long in the making. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's a really strong athlete and has been able to have great success at multiple different distances and then he doesn't have like the turnover to outkick people to see him be able to learn how to do that and to get that uh, great neuromuscular activation obviously he's peaking for this because he had cross country just last week so it makes sense that in his peak you were going to see this come to fruition for him good stuff there so what is more and what's really got people saying, okay, Nico Young is dangerous. He actually ran another race later on that oh, day. Oh, wow. Okay. He ran the 5,000 as well. So he and teammate Drew Bosley did this double uh, from Northern Arizona University. And apparently they were doing the 5,000 to pace their other teammate, Theo Quacks. But they finished. And Nico Young ran 13.22 for a 5,000 after 7.37 for a 3,000 which is not too shabby, also qualified him for the NCAA championships. So now he's got both qualifications just out of the way. He doesn't have to run times at all until the championships, which is exactly what you want to have to do in indoors. Right. And Drew Bosley ran 743 and 1329 for his double, which is just nearly as insane. So these guys, they're doing it. Super fun. Well, let's move to the roads now for the Valencia Marathon which is an event that has been known to be pretty fast and <laughs> has been a little has bit been fast. known to be quick. And the big talk of the town, Zach, mm-hmm. was the debut of Joshua Cheptegei. Do you want to lead us with that? 5,000 meter, 10,000 meter world record holder. He's got some road records as well. And this was going to be the big start. The you debut. know, so... Uh, I find it strange that everyone's always like, when are they going to marathon with runners? It's like, you know, not everyone has to marathon, but at the same time, everyone basically does. eventually. <laughs> so, so this was his start, but he had said beforehand, I'm not focusing on the marathon yet. Just dabbling. Cause he's coming right back to the track for the 2024 Olympics. Um, we'll see, you know, Sifan Hassan seems to be able to do it all. She does. She's also a singular thing she's otherworldly she is an entity that exists nowhere else in the history of time but joshua cheptegay is special so can he do it well not yet the answer has been declared and it is not yet side little rant that's why those pace calculator indicators to pay you know that determine different races and what your time will be it does not necessarily mean that you can run that time like for Joshua Chepchegai, for instance, he's a world record holder, so of course he's going to run fast in the marathon. The marathon's a different animal. Yeah, I it's mean, a he's run. Thing. Andy, he has run way faster than Kipchoge in the five thousand and ten thousand, so he should be way faster in the marathon. That's what the pace calculator says. Nope, not <laughs> it's, just, it. it's a different. It's a different distance, so it's. It's also a different. We day. take it with a grain of salt. 
for yeah. sure those pace calculators. But he did try. He went out with the leaders, and at halfway, they went out fast. The men did. Halfway, they came through in one hour and 35 seconds, which is, if you're doing the math, not far off world record pace. So they were going for it. Chepta guy said, yeah, I'm going to go for it with him. His second half was 68 minutes, which does not feel good. An eight-minute positive Ouch. split. <laughs> That's painful. But Cisse Lima of Ethiopia, who was kind of driving at that early pace. with I mean, they had pacers at the time still. But uh, he ended up holding on fairly well after running a half-marathon PR in the first half. And only a few seconds slower than his half marathon PR in the second half. Yes, Lima basically averaged two half marathon PRs in a one marathon race. And won the race in a blazing 201.48. Which that's is only, so fast. It, that's seven seconds slower than Kennedy Sibikele's Ethiopian record. And only about a minute off of the world record. I mean, that's You don't get much closer to that. And I should further say, with Cissé Lima especially, this is his 25th marathon, and he just ran a two-minute personal best. That is not common because hmm. 25 marathons means you've been doing this for a while and you've put some serious drudgery on your legs. Like that's a lot of racing over m many years. And yet he showed that he's still got fire and he's still got some improvement under him. So blazing fast, won the race. Um, he ended up winning by almost a minute and a half over Alexander Matuso, uh, Matiso, sorry, of Kenya, and Dewitt Wold also of Ethiopia, who both ran personal best times for second and third in 203.11 and 203.48, respectively. But get this, fourth place who was nowhere near the race at halfway, ends up running the smart race, which you'd expect out of a veteran champion like mm -hmm. Kenanisa Bekele, at 41 years of age, ran 204.19, a new world master's record, and fourth place at Valencia. That's so good. Now, I know Kenanisa Bekele still does have fire in his belly, because it wasn't that long ago that he almost ran the world record. Two seconds off. So That was four years ago. He's probably like, oh, yeah, great. I got this master's record, but I know I can do it. Watch out, Kipchoge. It's something, isn't it? Now, how oh, about I should the say Kiptum. I should say Kelvin Kiptum. Watch yeah, out, right. Kelvin Kiptum. Well, <laughs> that's right. You got to talk about Kiptum now when you're talking about the records. So. Yep. All right. On the women's side, it was just as interesting and more so in many respects. So, Worknish Degefa. Let's talk about Degefa for a minute. Ethiopian. Won the 2019 Boston Marathon. Okay. Ran one more marathon uh, several months later. And then took a little break to have a couple babies. Sounds familiar. So, she had two kids and then came back to the sport. You know, I'm ready to do a little more of this. And now here in 2023... Won the Valencia Marathon in 2.15.51. Number seven all time. That's so fast. That, I mean. That is. It's I don't really know. fast. I don't know. That's crazy. So Degefa just ran a massive personal best. It was like a minute and a half personal best. Uh, oh, I thought babies. it was more than that. 
So that's not a surprise. No, she ran 17 something. Okay. Before babies. Okay. Um, so, you know, edging her PR a little bit further, which is, that's great. Um, doing it in resounding fashion. She won the race. The by shoes are better seconds. now, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't want to bring it into every conversation. She is, she is an Adidas athlete. They claim to have the best shoe right now on the market. Adidas is new shoe. Okay. But anyway, um, Almaza Yana of Ethiopia was second. And this is a this is a good re-showing for her. She's had kind of some struggle years um, after being an Olympic champion and stuff. I don't know when that was, 2016 in the 10,000. So Amaza Yana, a strong performance, 216.22 for second, number eight all time. And then things got even crazier. Things <laughs> got even crazier. Think for a moment. How many national records do you think can happen in a single race? Make a prediction in your mind. How? Because this is different national records. So first of all, you have to have many different people from different nations, even to account for multiple records. There were thirteen national records. I'd be surprised if many people even guessed over ten. So thirteen national records. We had a two twenty one twenty seven performance by Spaniard Mejada Mayoff. We had. Do should we list them all? Or? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let me let me say the names. Okay. I'm gonna go down the list here. Two twenty one twenty seven, side by side was Sultan Haidar of Turkey, and then a couple minutes back, two twenty three and change. Sofia Yaremchuk of Italy, two twenty four. Gerda Stein of South Africa, two twenty four again. Fabian Schlumpf of Switzerland, two twenty four again. Camilla Richardson of Finland, and then. Just under 225, Sylvia Patricia Ortiz Morocho of Eth- of Ecuador, 225-0, Clara Evans from Wales, 225, Moira Stuart- Stuartova of Czech Republic, 225, and very close to 220, just under 226, Alexandris Lesowska of Poland, 226, Marie Perrier of Mauritius, which, so this t- is... <laughs> This shocked me bad. I was like, wait, what is that? Uh, first of all, clearly the name is French, but I've never heard of this place before. Well, it turns out Mauritius is an island in the Indian Ocean, not far from Madagascar, to the east of Madagascar. It's a French colony, or once upon a time was a French colony, and it, apparently like one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Hmm. And now I had they never have, heard of it. I'll be honest. Now they have an Olympic qualifier in the marathon. That's cool. There you go. So that's a national record and an Olympic qualification. 226 and change, Julia Mayer of Austria. And 232, Diana Bugantes of Costa Rica. What (laughs) an amazing race. Does any one of our top Americans want to go race next year in Valencia? Because maybe you'll get a record. (laughs) It's an interesting. So here's what uh, Let's Run had to say about this. They're like, you know, Abbott. World Marathon majors, all of that. They've been really trying to like beef up the majors, make it something, even add some potential events to it. We've talked about that a bit in the past. And yet Valencia is clearly one of, if not at this point in time, the favorite for people to go to try to run fast internationally. Like all over the world, people come to that event to run fast. It's the only ma- It's the only big marathon in the world that can claim that that isn't a majors at this level. But is the capacity smaller? The, no. Can the streets of Valencia handle? I mean, they've got a big race. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you would say like this. This isn't a 40,000 person race, but hmm. but it doesn't have to be. Not all the majors are. So 
There you have it. That, that was, was crazy. Yeah. That's Valencia. Exciting. Now, we've talked about track. We've talked about roads. Let's talk about cross country again. <laughs> Tis the season for yeah. cross country. High school still is going. They've got their the national championships. We're going to talk about Nike Nationals right now, and then Foot Locker's races next weekend. Um, and then the the pro level, global level cross country is actually just starting. And so there's going to be talk about that because there's a world cross country championships this year too. But for now, let's talk about the high schoolers and start with the boys race. Then Andy can geek out on the girls race. So not all cross country races are made equal. And that's what's exciting about cross country. You heard Zach Panning say it. He said, you know, everyone has to run through the same junk. And like every race is going to have different obstacles. It could be short. It could be long. It could be muddy. It could be perfectly hardened down and fast. You just don't ever have assurance at what cross country is going to mean. Mm. Well, this was a bad weather, sloppy (laughs) course sort of situation. It's all the worst things. On one day, on one course, it, it could have been cold. worse. Though it could it have been. been worse because it could have been even colder or or like, muddier. Because at least they like rolled it. It wasn't like I mean, did you see? I know they those, were really. It, yeah, I guess their ankle. They were like ankle gets. deep of in. They puddles. had to ford a stream. I said it in the intro. I was not exaggerating. There was a, a stream of nearly flowing water across the course, and they had to run through it twice. <laughs> so yes. It was bad. Um, so what ends up happening, this is a golf course. What ends up happening is super rainy. And uh, also, it's not just that, but they, like all the runners first, go out the day before and run on the course to kind of check it out and stuff. And that doesn't help. So then it's like already soft and soggy and then the mud. And then, then the boys raced first. And so by the time the girls got to run on this, it was like just a slop fest. We'll get to that. Let's start with the boys race since they ran first. Bad weather always does interesting things to the racing um depending on how they decide to do it and in this particular instance aside from all of the guys falling all over the place like there's a there's one drone shot where they're like overhead on one of the corners and it's the tightest corner on the course and i don't know every like fifth guy fell it just kept going down over and over and they didn't all fall all the way down which is good because they would have just gotten trampled but Half the time, a guy's falling and someone's, like, grabbing his arm because it's, like, you know, everyone's just slipping around. Guy runs into the pole because there's nowhere else to go. More than one guy ran into a pole. I know. So that's that's cross-country for you, folks. Well, then the race strategy in terms of execution was one of the more entertaining ways that people do this. No one wanted to go fast because they know how bad this course is. So the first, like, mile of the race, it was just this giant blob of boys running in way too close proximity they're stepping on each other bumping into each other all over the place and it was just like this lump it was really interesting and so for a while you're kind of like i don't actually know who's gonna do anything here if if any at one point there's a couple of guys who are teammates who like start chatting with each other up front clearly they were like hey maybe we should do this thing you know let's let's and the one guy like nods and then they fist bump and it's like, all right, they're, they're going to go. But then they didn't. They, they accelerated a tiny bit, I think. But but they didn't really make it the race yet. It was JoJo Jordan from Utah who, with about 1K to go, just took off from the group. And no one could keep up with him. They tried. They were close. But he was able to just stay one step ahead or, or several. Um, and, uh, and kind of a surprise victory. And I don't know that it was his team. Now that I'm thinking about it, Utah took both the first and second place team 
teams as well. Um, one of them was his. For some reason, I did not write it down. My apologies to you. But you can get the point. Utah had a great showing in the Nike Cross Nationals. We can contrast that with the women's race where we did see some women go really fast and have some major separation it was totally different yeah race. it was a completely different race maybe they saw how the men's went out and they're like hey maybe i'll sneak away or something like that it almost worked it well almost gotta run the whole race for it to be successful <laughs> oh, no. ouch uh, that hurts that yeah hurts. well the so big... who are the offenders start there who are All the right. offenders well is elizabeth Le lechman Okay. She, yep. She's the one who like took it out so. F well, Forsyth took it out first. Okay, okay. So very early on yeah. though. That yeah. was very first early 800. on. First yeah. eight hundred. I don't know. I feel like everything's still settling down at that point. She's but still way ahead though. Okay. All right. She, maybe she's trying to get out of trouble or something like that. But then Elizabeth Lechman, she's the one who overtook by one k, and she kept the pressure on and was in the lead for like three k, four k. Yeah, the next 3K because she was still in the lead just before 4K. Yeah. So, but she had not just like a little lead. It was at one point they said 20 seconds. Very nearly. Yep. And then by whatever it was like just before 4K, she still had like 15 seconds. No, no, right? no. By or 4K is, that when, they caught is her? when they caught okay, her. Okay, when they caught her. At 3K, she still had 15 seconds, okay. which was about her biggest point in her lead was like 2,500, halfway point in the race. All right. So behind Lechman. There were a lot of other things happening, which was the real race that was happening. <laughs> One of the senior favorites, Bethany uh, McCulloch and sophomore Colorado State, Colorado State champion, Addie Ritzenhain. Whoop. Yes. yes. That Ritzenhain. Dathan, Dathan's daughter. We talked about and her Kaylin. last year. As a freshman, she was already on the scene making waves. 18th at Nike Cross Nationals last year. 7th, I think. Was she the first, she's the first freshman, right? Or she was the first like freshman. Okay. Yep. Yep. So now as a sophomore, she is in the money, running for the game. And looked so composed compared to the other ladies. So yeah. I was very proud of her for that. I was like, she she's running within herself and being patient, obviously. She didn't get frazzled when there was that big gap. Do we, do we dare say it, it was not that long ago when Addie Ritzenhain herself said she didn't really want to do the running thing. She didn't really like hurting that much. Did she say that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, she did swimming for a bit. Yeah. I know that's when she, yeah. when she lived in Rockford. Anyway, well, I am I thought she did an incredible job. She was super patient. She ran like a pro. Well, Maybe because her dad does coach pros and he was pro himself. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, this is a different runner. The, Addie Ritzenhain is on a level right now. She's doing things. She has taken... A trajectory and is moving it mm -hmm. yeah very cool so she moved into second and then continued to move just kept going yes hunting down that gap the third place lady did go with her so they kind of chased lechman together yeah by 4k it was ritzenhein who did end up pushing past and did then overtake the the whole race and she didn't look back she wasn't distracted she knew where she had to go and she completed that race she was six seconds ahead of the next finisher 17 to 10 win. wins the race in dominant fashion just like like ran like she owned that race 
congrats to Ritzenhain. Clearly was just a, a bit overwhelmed by it, like just shocked with her own prowess, as it were. Um, she finished the race and, and it almost immediately broke down. And it's just great to see, you know, a young runner doing the incredible things. Mm -hmm. So that and her mom was fifth at Foot Locker Nationals the year that Dathan won Foot Locker Nationals. Mm -hmm. So she has a mom and a dad. Was that the year that they decided, hey, we should... I think they we were dating already at oh, that point. Okay. I think so. Wow. I don't really know for sure. <laughs> Maybe someone can... We don't need to give <laughs> all the gossip. But what we do need to do is say, watch this girl's career. Mm -hmm. It's been exciting for the early stages as an underclassman winning Nike Cross more to come i don't know if she's racing next week we should we should double check that Foot Locker nationals coming soon we'll talk more about that next time quick bonus before we wrap it up very briefly the california international marathon was december 3 and is basically like the race where americans go to run olympic trials qualifying times That's usually half of them uh half of the qualifiers are from that race right no, i don't know about usually. half but close to some years yeah not this year, though. Well, no, but it's still, well, <laughs> almost o almost by percentage, if you look at this year as well as some of the previous years oh, that are gotcha. within the window. Mm -hmm. uh, but what what happens here is that it's just it, the race is perfect for it. It's a huge group of people all trying to run the time. So you just kind of like settle in somewhere when you're comfortable and you just kind of ride the wave. That's, that's always a great way to do it for most. Um, but also it's like perfect weather. It's a slightly downhill course. Point to point. So it's good stuff. CJ Albertson won the men's race resoundingly in a 2.11. Very strong. CIM is not known for its super fast times up front. It almost never has super fast times up front. It's just this big blob of people running that same time until the near the finish when a few people take off. But CJ Albertson decided, yeah, I'm going to come out and run fast. And he did just that. And then behind him, 31 men in total ran the Olympic trials qualifying time of 2.18. That's a lot. Many already had the standard, so that's not 31 new qualifiers. Oh, but, okay. But 31 total in one race. It's cool. They gave them all these flags that said Olympic trials towels. qualifier. Were they flags? They look, I don't, well, oh. I'll have to ask. It's a bright yellow said Olympic trials qualifier. U.S. Olympic trials. Yeah. Very that's cool. Fun. Yeah. Let's see. And then the women's race, Grace Kahura won by almost four minutes or no wait over almost four and a half minutes 229 zero zero very strong performance um takes the women's race resoundingly once again not a race that's known for super fast times up front so it's very impressive over any rodenfels no 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 ali kiefer <laughs> thank you rodenfels was the track one ali kiefer in second place and then behind them, 15 women in total managed the Olympic trials qualifying standard of 237. 15. Yep. Just goes to show how much more aggressive that standard is. It is. Because I think previously. In the past, CAM we've been talking yielded, about like 30 or 40. Yielded a lot race. more yeah. for the women especially. So, but overall, that's congruent, like Zach said, with the percentages because there's just far fewer qualifiers in general which that yeah. was the purpose of them lowering the standard was to narrow down the field a little bit yeah do you know how many there are now total yeah no we'll get back it's to you on close that. to 140 though okay in that near vicinity for fee for the women yes and yeah. which it was 
over 500 last year. It time. was 500 yeah. in 2020. And it's 140. So you get the point. You clearly understand it. Now, for further context, because it's worth noting, Andy's like, yeah, it's usually a lot more people. The previous standard uh, in 2020, it was 245. Well, how many people do you think ran 245 mm-hmm. or faster in this race? This, this gives you a clue of how many would have qualified. 72. So 72. it would have had 72 qualifiers With in the 2020. Mark. If not for you know, a faster time standard now. So you get the idea. This is how crazy this race is. Hmm. Very fast. Well, that that does it. We have more we could talk about. There was more happening, but we're pretty sure that that's enough for today. <laughs> and, and you're saying, wrap it up already, Zach. So we are just so thrilled to be able to talk with you about these kinds of things. And the best way to do that is when we are talking about your thoughts and questions. So comment on all the stuff where you see it. Thank you to those who do because the interactions are why we do what we do and love it so much. Mm-hmm. And if you got a question, you can always go to a to z running.com slash question or send us an email via our address questions at a to z running.com. Thanks again to Pete for coming on the show and for his question. Thank you all for joining us and we'll talk to you next week.